Welcome everybody to uh, BetaDAO's Journal Club, one episode, one episode more. Um, this is a space for longevity enthusiasts, scientists or not, to share knowledge and to talk about the latest advances of the field. I'm your host, Stefano Pinilla. I'm a postdoctoral researcher at Ohio University, and I'm a member of BetaDAO. Um, BetaDAO, as you most of you here will know, is an open collective with a mission to fund early stage longevity research. We have an open call for translational projects that can generate intellectual property. So if you know of a project that excites you and you think is underfunded, join our discourse and introduce it to the community. Also, we have a form to introduce new projects. We're actually giving some, some bounties uh, for that. So just DM us and, and look around if, if, if you want to propose a project. And just a little disclaimer before we start today. Um, if you participate, your consent uh, to being recorded and also the content provided here, of course, is for educational purposes only, and it does not constitute offer or solicitation to purchase any token or security, nor it is to be taken as medical or veterinarian, in this case, advice. And with that out of the way, I'm here today with Welcome, Jason. Hi. Yeah, hi. Uh, great to be here. I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, today's talk. Uh, my name is Jason Colasanti. I'm a fourth year graduate student at Washington University uh, School of Medicine in St. Louis, where I study aging, longevity, and cellular senescence. And I also um, help out and contribute to VitaDAO in, in various ways. Okay, so today we are here um to talk about, about this paper that is called, um, yeah, I have the title right here. <laughs> Natural and human-driven selection of a single non-coding body-sized variant in ancient and model, modern canids that was published in Current Biology. And before we start diving into it, just uh, a, a little bit of, of housekeeping, how is this gonna work? Uh, we're going to have like more or less 30 minutes conversation about the paper and uh, 30 minutes of, of discussion, although uh, we want this to be an open conversation. So if you have any, any point you want to raise about uh, things we're talking about, you're most, uh, more than welcome to just uh, raise your hand and you will be invited on, on stage. And yeah. Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about the background of this paper? Because this, as we were discussing before, it's a little bit different than we normally do. It's a, a biology paper very focused on the evolutionary history of a trait. And, and this is a, a longevity uh, journal club. So would you, would you mind telling us a little bit more? Yeah, of, of course. I'd love to. So yeah, this week we felt like doing something uh, a little different. So you know, uh, normally we might look at a paper where they do a deep dive into different cellular or molecular mechanisms. Um, uh, but this paper instead is kind of taking more of a high level view, looking at, uh, you know, evolution and dog breeds and, and different factors that um, are involved in their size. Um, and interestingly, um, one of the genes that they look at in this paper or basically the main gene that they're kind of looking at in this paper is IGF-1, which we'll talk more about uh, later. But IGF-1 is kind of this, uh, one of these known longevity genes. And so we felt that this paper kind of fit nicely 
into, you know, uh, Vitadao's mission of, um, you know, advancing research and knowledge and aging longevity. So, uh, yeah, so we're, we're happy to share it with you guys. Um, but I think, you know, normally when we look at uh, research, we're looking at model organisms such as mice, um, you know, maybe flies, C. elegans, uh, nematodes are also, you know, popular model organisms. Um, however, now uh, recently, as many of you know, it's, it's been pretty popular to look at uh, longevity in dogs. And so, um, you know, this paper obviously is, is looking at many different dog breeds and uh, uh, canids in general. So why, you know, should we care about dogs in uh, longevity research? Like why, why is there this interest recently in looking at dogs and trying to, you know, see if they can help advance aging longevity research? So, I mean, is it because they are beautiful? They're, I just love dogs. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. sorry. Right. Sorry for interrupting. So, yeah, exactly. Like, why, why didn't we just originally think of dogs? Like, why did we even start with mice? No, but uh, jokes aside, um, uh, so unlike mice and unlike, you know, flies or, or sea elegans, dogs share uh, basically environment with humans, right? We, we co-habitat uh, with these dogs. They live in our house. Um, they kind of, you know, abide with our schedule. They wake up in the morning, they go to sleep at night. Um, you know, we, we just spend a lot of time with them. Um, they have, you know, healthcare needs. They, they go to the vet. Um, and also they have a shorter lifespan than humans, obviously. So, you know, that kind of is ideal and, and kind of necessary when you're trying to test interventions in different animals. You obviously need an animal that's going to, you know, uh, have a shorter lifespan than humans. Um, and I think a really important part is that they're a lot more diverse like different dog breeds than uh, most lab animals. And so in the lab, uh, a very common, you know, model is the mouse model. And I think one of the very uh, common strains of mice to use for, you know, basic research or even translational research is the C57B6 mice from Jackson Labs, also known as the Black 6 or B6 mouse. Uh, this is kind of like the standard mouse. I, I would say, or I would argue, this is kind of what my lab uses, um, and it is used a lot for aging longevity studies. However, the issue with using, you know, this, this B6 mouse is that they're highly uh, uh, genetically identical to one another. Um, and that this has pros and cons. I mean, the reason why that is, is because so that you can, when you're testing, you know, a treatment to see if these mice are going to live longer, you essentially want to uh, limit as many variables as possible. And by having mice be genetically identical, you limit, you know, the amount of, of other variables uh, that there are. However, this also has cons um, or it has downsides, basically. By limiting the variability, it's less um, relevant really to human biology because, you know, as humans, we're very diverse from one another. Um, and so there's been this push to have more diverse mouse models. And so dogs, you know, with all these different breeds, they're kind of naturally already diverse. And so I think this is um, really becoming uh, a, a potentially a great new model to test some interventions because of this uh, diversity. Um, and speaking of diversity, domestic dogs are the most variable sized mammalian species on earth. 
and they display anywhere um, from uh, basically a 40-fold size difference between breeds. So you can think of, you know, a teacup chihuahua and a, a Great Dane, right? That, that could be like a 40-fold size difference um, between those breeds. And this is due to artificial selection by humans over the past 200 years. So we've been, you know, selectively breeding dogs to narrow down uh, certain traits. And this kind of led to this, uh, this great diversity. Um, and it's, it's actually been observed that smaller dogs tend to live longer than larger dogs, um, which is something that's, I think, touched on also in, in this paper as well. Um, and previous studies have identified about 20 genes regulating body size that are involved in insulin processing, fatty acid metabolism, TGF beta signaling, and skeletal, uh, skeletal formation. Um, but of these genes, the insulin growth factor one, or IGF-1, as I uh, mentioned before, has been shown to, has been previously shown to control about 15% of body size variation between breeds of dogs. Uh, Estefano, could you tell us more about why we should care about dog size and, and IGF-1 when we're talking about longevity? Yeah, definitely. Just, just, uh, uh some some comments because I've uh, we've made some slides and I'm sharing them now in the nest that is this this small area on top of of the bubbles that show our our uh, profile pictures and you can see there the difference in well you can see there this this graph showing that that the smaller the dog the uh, more longevity uh, and and you can see how more or less the that the, there's a a straight line. Relationship, although there are some some outliers that might be actually interesting to to look at, um, and and also you can see the in the in the second tweet I've shared, you can see the the different size between uh, the 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 teacup chihuahua and the Great Dane. I think actually those that picture is of the smaller and largest dog uh, living today. So it, it's quite remarkable. Um, and what we should care about about these uh, this size difference and 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 the and the EGF1 gene the insulin like growth factor factor 1 gene it's it's interesting because like in other taxa and other groups of animals size normally correlates with with the lifespan so the long, the larger the animal the longer it lives but it seems that when we are talking about breeds of dogs is exactly the opposite. And, and EGF beta one might have uh, something to do with it. EGF beta one basically is, is a hormone that, that is very similar to insulin uh, and, and plays an important role in, in childhood growth. And it has also an anabolic effect, you know, so it basically makes your muscle grow larger. And, and with aging in humans, it's been seen that this molecule actually uh, decreases. When we are older, I think it was, it, it, it reaches the, the lowest point, this hormone, when we reach our 60s. And, and at the beginning, it was thought in, in a very simplistic way, okay, if it, if it like reduces with aging, then maybe a treatment would be, a potential treatment would be to, to just give, give patients more, more uh, EGF-1. Uh, but of course, this 
didn't uh, work very well. There were a lot of uh, side effects, cancer, cardiovascular disease. And actually, later publications suggested that it actually might be protective. And, and in very old people, the lower amount of this hormone was correlated with living longer. So it could be that it's actually protective. And on the other hand, a lot of methods used now in the lab to extend the lifespan of, of laboratory animals actually inhibit the, 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 um, the pathway of, of, uh, of this hormone, the, the, the EGF-1 uh, pathway. And, and yeah, this, there is this kind of idea in, in biology called um, uh, yeah, uh, disposable soma theory that basically says that there's some kind of trade-off between growing a lot and and use and the, your body using the energy to 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 grow a lot and repair and maintenance of of what ex, of the existing structure. So this could be in in that direction. Okay, so. Basically, we know that small dogs live longer. We know that it might have something to do with this growth hormone, EDF1. But, but then how, how, this, how does this paper come, come into all this story? Uh, Jason, could you tell us what, what this paper is, is actually trying to find or, or what is the contribution? Yeah. So the kind of overall finding, or, or basically the, the gap in knowledge that this paper or these authors were trying to fill is that although IGF-1 is known to play a role in dog breed size, um, finding functional mutations associated with IGF-1 um, has been very challenging. So uh, I think it's important here to explain, you know, what is a, a genetic variant specifically a single nucleotide polymorphism. So I know many in the audience probably are already aware of what a, an SNP or single nucleotide polymorphism, but uh, for those of you who are unaware or, or, or don't know, um, essentially, you know, our genes are, are made up of uh, four letters, ATCG. And um, normally there's kind of this normal distribution of uh, like a certain sequence or a certain gene that exists in the population. And when there's a single letter that's different, um, this is called a single nucleotide polymorphism or that, that single difference. Um, and um, sometimes people refer to these as, you know, alleles. Allele is basically just one alternative form of a gene found in the same place on a chromosome. So the aim of this paper was to essentially identify and elucidate the role of an ancestral IGF-1 allele in modern dog breeds, coyotes, and, and other can, uh, canids. So essentially, they're looking at this really old IGF-1 allele and then comparing it um, or looking at it with modern day dogs and other related species. Yeah, because I think one of the one of the points is that despite this, it, it is well known that this gene affects body size in dogs. It's been difficult historically to to pinpoint which which of these mutations or, or which of or which of these variants are responsible. And and this same group, the group that wrote this paper, uh, actually found found one 
that was a 2007 science paper. The problem with that that paper is that that it only explained the the size variation in in, in dogs, not in other uh, related related canids. And and yeah, basically what what they did to try to to go a little bit deeper and see, okay, there have to be more variants that explain this because this gene is extremely important for, for body size. So they basically analyze a lot of genomes, uh, 1,431 sequences from 13 species that included both, uh, as, as Jason mentioned, modern dogs, but also uh, ancient ones. And at the beginning, they just looked at the uh, different breeds of, of domesticated dogs. And, and also they included indigenous uh, and village dogs from all around the world and one, um, one dingo. And what, what they did with this uh, analysis, they, they identified as a list of uh, potential mutations, potential changes this gene had that could explain uh, the different sizes. And they selected the, the 10 most important. Between those 10 was this old gene. But what is interesting is that in this list, they found a, a new uh, variant that apparently also had, like, could explain the, the size of, of other uh, related canid species. But at the beginning, they just looked at, at different breeds of dogs. And what they found was that this variant had two versions. One uh, was uh, a letter C and the other was a T. And, and it only was that different is, is what Jason explained before. It was uh, a single different difference in, in one version of the gene was a C, the other was a T in a specific position. So looking at that place in, in the gene sequence of, of different breeds of dogs, they looked at basically poodles and schnauzers, different varieties of poodles and, uh, and schnauzers that have different uh, sizes. They, they vary a lot in, in, in size. And what they found is that basically the, the yeah, the seems like they can, the schnauzers breeds that that were larger had a more percentage of the T variant, while the smaller the dog, they had uh, more uh, amounts of the T variants. And then one important thing to mention, of course, is that there we only have two copies because we have two um, two chromosomes. So the the large dogs have almost all of them, as far as I know, two copies of the large variant, which kind of indicates that when we were breeding these dogs, we were focusing very much on getting them big, the giant schnauzer. On the other hand, when they looked at poodle, the toy poodle was heavily selected for the small variant for C, that they had a smaller side. But when you look at the standard poodle, uh, they, they were kind of had all the variants in the same uh, proportion. They have two copies of the small variant, two copies of the large variant, or one copy of each, more or less at, with the same frequency. And that basically tells you that there was maybe not a lot of, not a strong selection in, in size. Uh, what is interesting also is that 
they basically were able to associate the presence of these uh, different versions with body size. So smaller dogs have two copies of the C variant and larger dogs have two copies of the T variant. And when you get a dog that had one copy of C and one copy of T, they, uh, they were like middle size. And this correlated very well with the amount of hormone of EGF-1 in, in, uh, in blood. And yeah, just, just to remind you that if you have any question or comment or want to uh, point something out, just please uh, let us know and raise your hand. We're very uh, glad to, to let you come in on stage. But, but yeah, basically they found that the C variant was linked to small size and the T variant was linked to large size. But where did this variant came from? Uh, because this was one of the, of the main uh, goals of this paper to see how, how was the evolutionary history of, of this variant. Could you tell us a little bit more about that, Jason? Yeah, so I think this is where the paper starts to get really uh, interesting in my opinion. So to answer the question of where does this, uh, this variant come from, uh, they looked at genes of ancient dogs and estimated their sizes. They found a correlation between the presence of uh, the different versions of the allele and, and size. Um, and so, you know, as you were mentioning, um, Estefano, that the smaller dogs had the um, uh, two small alleles, the two Cs, and, and you know, larger dogs have the uh, larger alleles, the two uh, Ts. And... Um, they also looked at kind of like place where these uh, animals lived. Um, and in the paper, they talk about uh, this concept known as Bergman's rule, which is essentially that uh, animals in colder climates or animals kind of more in the north uh, tend to be larger, whereas animals in the south, um, or at least, you know, in warmer climates tend to be a little bit smaller. And this is kind of what they also saw here when they were looking at, um, you know, the different species of dogs is that in the north, um, that like around, you know, areas of, of Russia and, you know, uh, Scandinavia, basically, they see these, these very large wolves um, and that uh, have a higher probability of having these two T alleles or these larger, uh, the larger variants, right? And then when they looked, um, you know, more, more Southern in the warmer climates, uh, you know, particularly in uh, countries in Africa and elsewhere, they see much smaller candids and um, a, a much higher uh, percentage of um, species had the smaller double C alleles. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. As I mentioned, they, they kind of looked at the dogs' closest relatives, the wolves, and and all these these different canids. Um, yeah, they, yeah, I just they wanted, also, yeah. Sorry, I, I just wanted to add that <laughs> that as a small uh, Spanish dude living in Denmark, I can confirm uh, Bergman's rules for sure. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Sorry, because one of the interesting things is that in the in the wolves, it seemed that the small variant was not very very uh, 
frequent. So most of the of these worlds, either modern or Asian, they they only had uh, copies of the large variant, and and very very few had this the small variant. At least one copy of the small variant, they were all, uh, heterozygous for it. And 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 that is that is kind of interesting. Can, can you can you explain why, uh, Jason? Yeah, yeah. So I think. Um uh kind of the the point that you're getting to here is that when they look at you know uh, some of the very old samples um like the very ancient uh you know uh, samples that they looked at they really saw a high uh frequency of these small alleles um and then as you know these animals kind of traveled more north and populated other areas outside of uh africa and, and um more into like colder climates, then they saw a higher frequency of these, um, these uh, the larger dogs and the larger alleles. So it seems that the very you know ancestral state is actually the smaller size and the smaller alleles. And then uh, you know after a couple thousand years, um, there was you know an evolutionary branch that kind of branched off and then produced these larger. Uh, animals and with these larger alleles um, and now it's kind of funny because if you look at the way that humans have selectively bred dogs in the past um, you know 200 years we've kind of reverted back and selected back for this small allele size again so um, it's it's kind of interesting to see how we've kind of like reverted back to the original ancestral um, uh, allele in some sense. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's funny because like when they also look at other like less uh, closely related species like like panda, ferret, cat, and they all have like the small allele. So it seems that the, the small allele is actually quite quite ancient. And, and also when they look at other like canids that are more uh, less related to the to the dog than the wolf, like coyotes and and other canids, they see that there's this uh, prevalence of the small variant. So so at some point in Europe, there was something selecting for for large. Uh, I mean, not in Europe. Like yeah, what I mean is in because I think the difference inside, I think, was mainly in like um, in Europe what they observed. But it, there was something selecting for big canids, and and that's how the wolf. It came to be came to be big, but one of the questions that I have is when reading the paper, like it would be possible that like the small allele reappeared because of some kind of like mixing between uh, some like some like canid that was uh, like a coyote or some some more not not very like further related uh, canid with with wolves and that kind of like rescued the gene do you know jason if they they oh, look yeah. at that um so i believe um yeah i believe what, what you're saying is you know there was some kind of crossover between you know these wolves that had uh, predominantly the larger allele uh with you know as you're saying like coyotes or something um with the smaller allele and then because there was, you know, a selection pressure for these smaller alleles, it kind of stuck in the population and, and now we revived it. Is, is that what you were uh, getting at there, uh, Stefano? 
Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, I mean, I think that could be a possibility. Uh, but I mean, I don't know if, uh, I think actually that that gets ruled out in, in the paper. And, and what they found is that is the other way around when they look at, because they also look at American coyotes and they find that the ones in the East Coast are larger and it could be because they mixed with, with wolves. So it's actually uh, quite, quite robust evidence that, that the small allele and the small dogs were, were like the original animals. And, and yeah, it's another quite interesting thing about, about this paper, uh, besides like the, the, the evolutionary history of, of size and dogs, is that the mutation of this variant, and I've shared uh, a slide talking a little bit more about it, it is in a quite particular place, uh, place of the of the genome that is called a, a long and long done coding RNA, and it's basically like a large chunk of um, of RNA that doesn't get transcribed into translated into into proteins. Because just as a reminder of like the central dogma of of biology, we have DNA that are genes that get transcribed into RNA, and then that is translated into, into proteins. So that is more or less the direction it goes. Although it, it has been like reverse transcription has been observed, but that's, that's another story. But this is kind of like DNA transcribed into RNA, and then the RNA goes out of the nucleus and gets translated into, into proteins. And, and this uh, variant we are talking about with the EGF1, is in a part that is not coding uh, for any proteins really, but what it seems to be is complementary to the part of the gene that actually codes for the hormone. So it kind of binds like like binds to it like a zipper. But but yeah, this is a little bit like the the nerdy molecular biology details, but. What is interesting is they saw that the, the expression of the transcription of the genes for the, the, the hormone didn't really change. So what it seemed to change uh, was more at the level of translation to the protein. Because then when we looked, as, as we've mentioned be, uh, previously in, in uh, the slide, uh, slide number three, where they actually measure the hormone in blood and they saw that, that larger animals had more of this uh, growth hormone compared to, to smaller ones. Uh, what they found was, yeah, they, they actually see, saw a difference in, in protein expression. So somehow these, these uh, different, the different versions of the, of the long non-coding RNA are doing something at the level of, of protein synthesis, basically. They are somehow um, having, having different, uh, different effect at that level. And, and I, I think it, that was interesting because, yeah, long non-coding RNAs have been kind of like, oh yeah, I see uh, Arielis requesting a role to speak. Okay, I'm trying to approve her. I hope it has come through. 
Hi, Ariela. Hey, I didn't mean to interrupt. You could keep talking. Uh, just uh, I'll weigh in later. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say that it's quite uh, unusual, actually, to find uh, variation in these uh, kind of part of the, of the genome, these long non-coding RNA that driving evolution. I think it's one of the first times where this has been seen. So in, from the side of molecular uh, biology and genetics, this paper is, is also quite, quite special beside the, the very cool uh, story with, with uh, dog evolution. So yeah, as you say, Jason, it seems that, that we rescued this small allele to make, to make smaller dogs. This allele that at some point in, in evolution disappeared um, and, and, and we basically selected back the, the small dog. And, and I don't know, I think that's from the, I don't know what are your thoughts on that concerning uh, longevity, like considering how important EGF-1 is for, for lifespan. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny. Like it seems like we indirected, indirectly or accidentally um, selected for longer lifespans. Um, you know, so could this kind of, you know, 200 year slow artificial uh, selection process, um, could this be considered like an accidental life extending intervention in some sense? You know, I think that's kind of like a, uh, interesting philosophical question to think about. And maybe, you know, we do this with other things in life as well that we don't really notice because we don't, you know, look at it at the, with the same kind of scrutiny as this. But I think this is interesting to think that this could be a, a life-extending intervention. Yeah, and I mean, Ariel, I, I, I think you wanted to wait in here. Oh, I, I'm raising my, I, I'm just raising my hand. You can finish your thought, and then when, uh, when you're done, you can call on me. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree, and, and it's... Uh, Again, it's funny because one of the of the interest like interesting interventions that it's been planned to 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 try in dogs, especially um, in the in the dog aging project that that we will discuss we can discuss a little bit later. It's actually rapamycin. Then it's somehow connected to the IGF one pathway via enter. So it's kind of like, we are now doing what we did through like artificial selection. We are planning to do it a little bit more uh, targeted with, with, with uh, drugs and another kind of, of intervention. So I think, I think it's, uh, I think it's quite, uh, quite interesting and quite cool to think about it. Yeah, Ariella, now, do, do you want to wait in with, with something? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, just a few things. I mean, um, first of all, um, just from the perspective of helping out with SciComm here, I noticed that we have lots of new listeners and my experience with hosting spaces is it's good every so often to reset the room and give some context. So just like a quick summary of what we're doing right now, we're looking at and, you know, correct me if any of this is inaccurate, but as I understand it, we're looking at a paper that's going over basically the evolutionary origins of large and small dogs, which is super interesting because most species don't have this enormous amount of variation. It's particularly interesting in dogs. And it's also particularly interesting um, for humans because we love dogs and interact with them all the time. So of course we want to know all about them. But from the perspective of the of like why this is happening in the longevity journal club at VitaDAO, 
Um, the origins have a lot to do with the gene um, insulin growth factor one. And that's a, a really important gene in the longevity space. Um, I, in case it hasn't been mentioned yet, I work with worms. So I just want to put a plug in for C. elegans research and, um, you know, the work by Cynthia Kenyon. If people have uh, heard about her work with DAF2 showing that a small mutation can double the lifespan of these nematode worms, DAF2 is actually the worm equivalent of the IGF-1 receptor. So it's sort of all, this whole web is connected. Um, and I think that helps provide some context. And then like you were saying, Stefano, when we had, when we were talking about rapamycin and rapalogs and mTOR, that discussion is also related to, um, you know, to these, these same signaling pathways. So it's all kind of connected. And there could be broad implications for our field, um, you know, ranging from, uh, like you were referring to, just looking into more of the mechanisms behind this. And I think one way it's interesting to look at comparative biology, I've seen some graphs that have shown that in general, it's not a linear relationship, but the pattern largely holds that um, for a lot of species, the larger the animal, um, like there, there, there's this, um, there's actually this relationship with a lot of species where the larger animals live longer. So it's it's interesting to see in dogs that sorry, I think somebody sort of uh, butt dialed the mute everyone button. <laughs> Can you all hear me now? Yes, yes, we can. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was, um, I don't want to hog the mic too much. Do you want to talk a little bit about the comparative biology aspect of this? I think that's also like an interesting topic. You know, when we think of like whales as being humongous, but incredibly long lived, um, you know, versus rodents being very tiny and obviously not very long lived. Um, and then something that's really popular in the comparative biology field is comparing rodents of similar sizes and noting that they don't necessarily have comparable lifespans. Like mice live only a maximum of about four years, but squirrels are basically just mice with fluffier tails and they live for, they can live for 20 years. Um, so yeah, do you, do you or Jason, do you have any thoughts on the comparative biology aspect of this? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so uh, Stefano was talking about this kind of earlier. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think it's fascinating that we have these larger, you know, when you look like across different species, the the larger organisms uh, tend to live longer, as you mentioned, and then short, uh, smaller organisms tend to live shorter. But then, you know, we were wondering, or at least I was wondering within a certain species, is that uh, relationship reversed? Then do you now have like the smaller, um, a specific uh, organism within a species is, do they live longer or shorter? Um, but I think uh, Estefano had some thoughts on that uh, before we even started this space. So you could uh, elaborate on those if you want. You know, I, I mean, I think it's super, it's super interesting because because what Ariela says is, is true. And I think it comes like there are a lot of potential reasons for for this because why would a larger animal live 
live longer. And apparently, a lot of a lot of reasons have been discussed. Like, okay, they have a small, like, slower metabolism. Uh, they they have a, a slower growth rate, so they grow for longer time. The rate maybe of growth, how fast they grow, is more important. And and probably all that that uh, plays plays a role. But but in dogs, I think it's been discussed if maybe the problem is, and I, I would like to know your opinion and all, all, all your opinion, that maybe the problem is that dogs, particularly large dogs, live less than they should because we have selected for very extreme size and maybe that, that is causing some kind of health problem that actually causes the dog to, to live less. When, when, as Ariela said, if this trend holds up, large animals should, should live longer. And then what would be the role of, of uh, EGF-1 here? Uh, I, I would like to know what, what you think about it, uh, guys. I think it's, it's really interesting um, uh, what, you know, Jason brought up about the difference between looking interspecies, you know, at different species versus intraspecies within the same species. Sorry, someone keeps clicking the uh, mute everyone button. <laughs> I, I, I have to claim blame for that because I actually tried to react and somehow the reaction bar just disappeared and made me click the, the mute button. So I, I will stop trying to react with what you say, Ariela, because a, I'm silencing you. I saw that happen in a couple other spaces recently. I think it's because Twitter recently changed the reaction bar. Like I noticed the 100 emojis are gone now. I don't know why they randomly changed this, but I've seen it happen in a lot of spaces where people's muscle memory, they're like trying to click a supportive emoji and where that button used to be, it like mutes the speaker, which is exactly the opposite of a supportive emoji. So very, yeah, very unfortunate, but totally not your specific fault. I think that's just the Twitter developers doing weird things as per usual. Um, what was my train of thought? Oh yeah, interspecies versus intraspecies showing an opposite trend. I mean, there's probably something to do with just totally different um, biomedical pathways being responsible for those two differences. There's probably something a lot more uh, systemic and complicated going on for, for, for differences between entire species that have to do with like their physiology and heart rate and rate of metabolism, you know, whereas within a species, um, within a single species, we can see these kinds of situations where changes in one gene actually can produce the, um, you know, these wild lifespan differences. And personally, my two senses, I think that's an extremely fascinating um, part of aging biology to study, just this idea that there have been accident accidents um, in our evolution that have set our lifespan to be in a very um, uh, what's the what's the opposite of objective and evidence based just um, God I can't I can't think of the word can you think of the word just in a totally not contrived but um, Subjective, I guess, is fine. There's a better word. Um, but like in a totally subjective way where there's there's no reason 
really that we need to live, we need our lifespans to be limited to exactly what they are. It is just a fact of there being very little evolutionary pressure for us to survive um, very long past the point of having reproduction because that's how evolution works. So I think it's so interesting when we can look at how these single gene changes to make a huge difference in species. And one of like the more fun questions I think that I have after looking at this paper is, um, you know, and considering dogs is, I wonder if there, if there's any relationship with, um, tinier humans and larger humans has anyone studied <laughs> whether I guess it's probably quite difficult to separate out from the obesity epidemic at this point but I wonder if there's a uh, any if anyone has looked at whether smaller humans live the same or longer than um larger humans maybe tall and short does anyone know I think that's an interesting question there's probably way too many confounding variables. I just think it's funny to think about because I myself am a very tiny human. I, I was going to say exactly that, that I, I really would hope that it was like the tinier the human being, the longer lifespan. But as far as I know, uh, I think it's actually the other way around. <laughs> the taller like uh, height uh, actually correlates with, with lifespan. So bad, bad news for, for us uh, oh, uh, small no. people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's probably not biology. It's probably like people, uh, they are so confident that they have more success in life and therefore I, they have better access and live longer. That's what I would assume. I, 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 actually, I actually think that that could have something to do because, I mean, I think also being taller like correlates with like higher socioeconomical status yeah etc so so probably there are a lot of confounders there, yeah, but yeah. And malnourishment can um you know keep you down but i see we have some other speakers um so i want to pass the mic back over to you guys and continue hosting this awesome space thank you for letting me comment yeah you're welcome thank you thank you for for uh, speaking real and Lawrence, i think you you also requested to be a speaker is there something you want to comment or in this or or in other dog related topics <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks, guys. It was great. Um, I just wanted to comment when Ariella was uh, trying to find a word, but um, that moment moved, we moved on. But um, so in in the slide uh, comparing the the CC, CT, and TT variants, uh, did you guys go into the um, the graphs on the right? Um, I might have missed that part. Uh, you, you're talking. Uh, you're talking about this. The slides we've shared. Uh, the slides. Um, three, three or uh, five. Yeah, three or five. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. We we mentioned it. Uh, yeah, that they basically found that that smaller smaller dogs uh, tended to have the the copies of the two copies of the small variant, the CC, while larger dogs tended to have like the TT. Uh, uh, variants and and yeah, yeah. also that that seemed to correlate with with the levels of of uh, uh, insulin like growth fat factor one. So yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, just wondering so, and, if, you, if you had got got it into the the graphs on the on the right. Um, I to, can to explain, I just like yeah, we look the 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 stars mean statistical significance and. The, the bars, you know, and so on, um, just for for the audience. 
Right. We, we didn't want to do like a, a super, you know, like deep dive into like all the technical aspects of it. Um, just to kind of keep it more of like a conversation so that more people with more diverse backgrounds could kind of uh, contribute to it. But we, we explained the general, uh, you know, most important findings uh, and methods from each uh, figure. Um, first of all, just want to say thank you, Lawrence, for inspiring me to keep thinking about what word I was was trying to find. And the word is arbitrary. That's what I was looking for. I could not figure it out at the time. But I was trying to say that the, the lifespan has been determined in kind of a it's kind of an arbitrary way. Um, just based on accidents of evolution and there being no natural selection beyond the point of, um, you know, reproducing and making sure that your babies survive long enough not to die in the wild. Also, um, Lawrence, just so I can look at the slide, which slide were you talking about? Three. Okay. Yeah, three, three or five. I'm going to take a look at it, but yeah, maybe you guys want to go to the next speaker while I take a look at it. Yeah, I, I think Jay, Jay was the the next one that that requested a, a role, a speaker role. Hi, Jay, oh, welcome. Just, <clears throat> hey, I was just going to suggest either arbitrary or anecdotal. I didn't know. I was trying to guess what she was, what word she was looking for. It's a good guess. Thank you. <laughs> I had no idea that the best way to get more speakers up on the panel was just to ask people to help me be a thesaurus. So now we know that that's a great way to lure more speakers onto the stage. <laughs> Do you have any other yeah. questions or comments while you're here? Uh, just, my Wordle game has been strong recently. So. Um, no, I was just going to say that I, I, I thought that uh, size and lifespan were actually uh, inversely correlated in humans, but I could be wrong. I'll have to I'll have to look it up more. Yeah, if I if I don't remember wrong, that that's true. Sadly, as before. And so inversely correlated, you mean like taller? Yeah, yeah. I okay, like, then. Which is a bit of an in intuition. This is like, true. I actually went to second J because on a podcast, David Sinclair talked about uh, little people and how they actually live longer. And by little, we were talking, I'm sure, much smaller than Ariella. Uh, I don't know if this is the proper word, but um, how would you call uh, little, little people? Like the guy, the like little dwarfs. man. Dwarfs. Yes, dwarfs. dwarfs. You know, dwarfism. I dwarfism, was going to use the yeah. other word. And I'm like, no, that's not the right yeah, word. No, no, not that one. <laughs> so, yeah, dwarfs. Uh, apparently, they actually live very, very long. So, Ariella, you're okay for uh, longevity. Oh, I'm so, I'm I, so glad. I, I, I do think it's controversial. I, I do think there's like, you know, evidence on both sides. And the, I, I think the extremes maybe uh, kind of spike the data a little bit. But uh, uh, it'll be interesting to, to look into that more either way. Yeah, if I definitely need to. If, if anyone is curious, I am five foot two. So I am, I am small, <laughs> but not, not clinically small, just regular small. Go ahead, Stefano. Uh, no, no, I, I, I was just gonna say that that I, I would need to look then more, more, more into it, because because yeah, I, I, I read somewhere uh, that the actual the actual opposite. Although for for dwarfs, I, I wouldn't be surprised because like it, it is, uh, uh, yeah, it, it would be like uh, growth hormone. Um, 
a very strong effect there. And and maybe in terms of as we were discussing with when we are talking about about uh, hate in, in human, other factors could be confounding. So, but yeah, definitely something something I I, I would look more into. Thanks thanks for forwarding that out, Jay and Laura. So yeah, Stefano, I, I just wanted to tell. Oh, Jason, did you want to go? I think I like oh, you've been uh, trying you, to speak. You can go. You can go. <laughs> I was just going to say something okay. slightly uh, tangential, but you can go. Um, so do I go? Or I think you should just say it. <laughs> okay, sure, sure. Uh, so this, I think this is pretty you know, relevant to what we're talking about. I don't know if you guys have heard of this um, book that came out, uh, I think, in 2017 called Scale. Um, it's by Jeffrey West, and essentially uh, this person you know, looks at a lot of data, like biological data, um, and seeing how it scales like through different uh, species, different organisms in terms of size. Uh, I think he comes to a conclusion that, you know, uh, no matter the size, all, you know, mammals kind of have the same amount of heartbeats uh, throughout their entire lifetime. Um, and there's a lot of other like very fascinating things with, uh, you know, the way that cities are organized. Cities are kind of like organisms in themselves as they, as they kind of like grow and have like different streets and stuff. So uh, the name of the book is Scale, and it's really interesting and makes a lot of comparisons between physics and biology and just talks about these rules that kind of permeate throughout life, kind of how we're talking about how size uh, really plays a role in lifespan in some way. Uh, so, yeah, highly su suggest that book. But, uh, Laura, uh, go ahead, please. Cool. Um, I will have a scale, like a scale, S-C-A-L-E. Yeah, Okay. That's correct. By Jeffrey West. Cool. I'm going to look it up. Always looking for good books. But um, taking it back to the dogs, um, Stefano, my dog's name is Mobile, which I do tweet a lot about. And um, I wanted to mention it because of him. I did. I mean, I'm very interested in dog longevity. And there's a new project that um, actually took off from the Vida Dao Discord and it's the dog longevity uh, DAO. So I'm helping out with that. And um, Anaris Mount from HSRX, Hamsa, who I believe um, is very active with you guys, is um, part of it. Um, Kai, who has, um, you know, who's doing cryopets, he's also into dog longevity, but I mean, pet longevity in general. But I just wanted to put, uh, mention it simply because. Um, is just getting going and i think that if there are other researchers or founders or people that are looking into pet longevity um i guess one of our missions is to um, obviously create something where we can start uh, looking at more funding for more research into this space because it's kind of, i mean there are um, big companies with a lot of funding namely loyal um they're doing well but i don't know if there are that many other scientists um, at universities or looking at this as much as um, other areas of longevity. So hopefully something like this will encourage that. Um, I'm doing it because I really do want my dog to live longer. And I think dogs, not only because of the science, are also a great way into getting the general public interested in longevity because a lot of people won't do things for themselves, for their own health, but they'll do anything for their pets. So I find this also very interesting as a way to get more people into longevity. Um, uh, I think, yes, I, I thank you for posting it, Ariella. 
Yeah, I was just gonna, I was gonna raise my hand to ask if you wanted to post a, a link to, you know, a tweet or something so that people could follow the organization. But I yeah, thanks. You found it. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> yeah, the I just I usually just go with posting um, the pinned tweet. Um, and so that's what's currently pinned right now is this adorable meme. But um, I just want to say you're totally welcome, Laura, if there's another tweet you would like to share um, to no, it's uh, perfect. All right. Awesome. Because <laughs> my Thank next thing was so going to say to um, if people wanted to join, follow on Twitter, join the Discord. And um, it's so early on that um, I think, you know, right now it's like just putting the word out there and uh, building it from there. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very interesting project. I'm sorry if I don't react because now I'm 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 afraid I was going to uh, I was going to react with very positive reactions at all you've been saying, Laura, because uh, I think you brought very, because I, 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 it's a very cool project. And also I'm, uh, you brought very good points regarding the importance of, of bringing more researchers and, and entrepreneurs into, into uh, the field of dog longevity, because I, I do think, as you say, that is, is actually very uh, encouraged a lot of people into, into the field. But yeah, I'm I'm just afraid that if I react, I will mute everyone as I've been doing a couple of times. So. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, um, I need I to also, show like verbal support. I also just I'm um, I'm looking for I'm throwing up a few other tweets up into the nest at the top, the pinned tweets at the top, um, just to in case some people aren't familiar with the projects that we've been mentioning, like the dog aging project down at UW by Matt Caberlane. So just keep an eye on the nest at the top. I'll mute myself, but I'm going to be posting some more resources up there while you guys continue the conversation. Yeah, well, one of the super cool things about about uh, the dog aging project is is uh, like how many broad participation they they have uh, gotten by by people. That comes again to to what Laura was saying of of the interest that that people has under pets living longer. I would I would love to see that kind of, some kind of like uh, because as far as I know, I might be wrong, and and you can all correct me if if that's the case. But I think the, the dog aging project is only in the U.S. It would be super cool to see a more international uh, effort or consortia. Uh, to look at it internationally. I, I might be wrong. It might be already happening. You are actually super right because um, I tried to enroll my dog. Um, I also got the link to get the epigenetic test with Loyal. And because I'm in Canada, I don't have access to any of that. So I encourage Canadian entrepreneurs to get going on this too. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like, it, it, it also might, might, play the, might, might play a role in... in you know, the effect that can be observed, the most uh, diversity, geographical diversity and cultural diversity, because uh, again, this is dogs share environment with humans. So like cultural uh, uh, costumes uh, concerning regarding dogs might actually affect how long they live. And, and it would be super interesting to, to see if there's some, some effect there. And Ariella. Yeah, Laura, I was just wondering, have you had a chance to speak with, um, you know, uh, Celine or anyone at Loyal about your new DAO or um, Matt Caberlane or anyone at the Dog Aging Project about potential partnerships? Or is that still, are you guys still sort of in like stealth early mode and don't want to do that yet? No. So the conversation with Matt is really um, gone like far. And the thing about it is, 
Loyal has a lot of funding. They don't need funding. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, totally. Matt, 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 is a, Matt is at a university. He knows exactly the requests that he's getting for people wanting to collaborate with him, which he just simply doesn't have the bandwidth or the budget to do. So this is one of the missions is trying to set up some of the things that he knows he like a lot of people are looking for and that are not being funded simply because they're not a startup or, you know, he's an academic. Um, so the mission of the DAO is basically trying to do a lot of what you guys are doing, which is fund uh, projects that usually might not get funded and also encourage people to start their own projects. Um, this will be the biggest thing. We are. Um, I did have a podcast that I started last year and fin- I didn't continue because of um, timing. But one of the things that we're going to start is doing the interviews again. People like Ryan Bedencourt, who is um, anybody in longevity knows that he's really into longevity. He has some wild pets. Um, you know, all those people that are interested in a healthy dog aging and um figuring out better products out there for dogs um every everyone in between and hopefully we'll we'll be able to feature somebody like celine eventually uh, but you know i mean it's funny because i feel there are a lot of dog um, startups that are quite well funded but then when you go out there to ask who else is working on it there are not that many people coming up so um i guess part of it is encouraging more people getting into the dog longevity like nathan is doing encouraging everybody to get into longevity biotech let's get people also into doing dog longevity yeah um that's totally awesome that your conversations with matt have been proceeding so well i mean when i was thinking about talking about to people at loyal i totally get what you're saying we've had similar conversations from from vita dow it's like well vita dow provides funding and they don't need funding because they're super successful already so what's the point in talking but um but i think there are other perspectives to consider especially when you guys are just starting out um, as a nascent DAO and maybe looking into tokens and other things, because what's really big in the NFT space right now is tokens that actually provide some um, utility. And if Celine was on Oh, board, yeah, we're doing that. We're doing, yeah. um, I'm going to be like, I mean, that's why I mentioned Ryan Bernancourt, because as I believe in consumer a lot, I think, and I'm very interested in people that are not into Web3, um, how do you lower the barrier? How do you make them evolve right. people that have never like interacted with longevity or with Web3, but that have dogs and would actually want to, let's say, buy a token or an NFT? We are going to add utility, but that's much uh, later in this. In basically, when you get an, or a token or NFT, have uh, different benefits. I mean, we're talking about stuff like even having um a chamber a cryopet chamber for um, you know with um kai's startup or something with ryan benancourt's wild pets and indeed um immediately something with loyal but we would focus on companies that already have um i mean that will want to participate and yeah i'm not i mean i'm not taking loyal out of the question i'm just saying that uh in terms of funding and where we want to go for what the mission is, is trying to get more people into the space and in particular general consumers like that for me is the most important part. How do I get uh, people that would never interact with longevity or are not even in Web3, older people also in their 40s, 50s who love their dogs to want to participate on something like this? And yeah. yes, utility is a huge part of it. Like, oh, so I can get a year 
20% discount with wild pets or this or that or the other. Yeah, exactly. And the only reason I was, well, not the only reason, but one of the reasons I was just pushing it is because I, I have a meeting with Celine on Friday to like talk about decentralized science. And so I just figured I would learn from you as much as you guys, as much as I could about what you're doing, because it seems like the kind of thing I would want to mention while we're having, while we're having that conversation and like, uh, was just interested to make sure I got a lay of the land so that I know what I'm dealing with when I go into that meeting. That's all. Sure, I can send you a message on Discord or Twitter to let you like um, yeah, get awesome. the view of the mission and all of that. So more than happy if you mention it. Awesome. Okay, I'll turn it back over to the hosts now. Just wanted to, uh, you know, one, one of the things I love about these spaces is when we get sort of uh, unplanned connections and utility and networking. So loving that. But uh, yeah, let me turn it back over to the host for the the, <laughs> the paper and the planned discussion. Sorry, guys. Yeah, no, no worries. I think that's, that's awesome. I love the discussion. I love, you know, taking it in, in different uh, ways and getting more people involved in the discussion. I think it's uh, fantastic. Uh, unfortunately, I need to hop off now but please feel free to continue the discussion and, and keep talking about these things I, I think it's really awesome but uh thank you all for coming and uh, looking forward to the next one yeah. thank you thank you, so, thank you so much jason for for doing this with me it's been it's been a fun paper but yeah i'm i'm uh, willing to to keep discussing uh, a little longer if if uh, there's more people willing willing to participate and uh, and yeah, to to discuss either longevity, dogs, both, and yeah, I think I don't know. I think it's uh, it's actually quite quite interesting. The the yeah, the fact that that you can get so many people interested in in the topic of longevity by. Uh, these non-traditional, non-traditional topics. Sometimes when we talk about longevity in humans, there are some, uh, yeah, we have some pre-made, uh, preset ideas about about it, and it, that seems to be much more softened when we are talking about pets and like kind of like, yeah, it's a, a more uh, gentler conversation, wholesome conversation. Yeah, Arela. Sometimes when the something? yeah when the conversation dies down, I always I sometimes just like to do a, a quick plug for just the tutorial of if you do have a question or comment and you want to speak in case you're unfamiliar with spaces, maybe this is your first space. Um, just want to just say quickly in the bottom left corner of your screen if you're on the mobile and you need to be on the mobile if you want to be a speaker. You'll see a little request button with a microphone and anyone here is welcome to hit that button, come up on stage, ask a question, make a comment. Um, I just wanted to put that up in there and uh, back to you, Stefano. Thank you. Thank you for the reminder. I've been, I've been actually uh, running spaces for a while, but, but my experience with with it as a direct host is, is is limited, so I always I always thank the 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 advices. But yeah, I don't think uh, a lot of a lot of people want to wait in, so I think we can we can actually uh, end here.
And yeah, thank you so much, everybody, for participating and and uh, discussing and presenting these uh, new exciting projects related to dog longevity, like uh, yeah, the the longevity. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to say the name right. The dog longevity DAO. That's it. Uh, and thank you, everybody. It's been it's been super fun, and I cannot wait for the next time we're gonna have actually uh, a guest. That that yeah, it's uh, we're gonna talk with um, with yeah uh, Joel Rurik about his newest paper in Science concerning heart uh, fibrosis and the use of uh, CAR-T generated in body. And Lawrence, I think you want to say something. I think I, I, I know, but just let, feel free to do it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, just because uh, I see that some people still here, uh, I'm, I'm grateful, it, it means you really care. So uh, I'm wondering if you uh, care enough to actually join us and, and contribute to our efforts to fund the best longevity research uh, at, at accelerating progress towards therapeutics that actually keep us healthier for longer. So, uh, you know, even if you um, find some researchers wanting to work on dog longevity, we're willing to look at that and see if, if it uh, fits our funding. But any any research project that is relevant to us uh, that you refer to us, you would get a bounty. There's a bounty out until March 15th of $500 or 500 Vita for each project to refer to us um, that is relevant. And the terms are outlined. I and mean, you can see that on, um, on our Twitter. And um, yeah, just in general, that, that's one thing that you can do. So source a project, but in general, there, there's many things you can do to help us. So just join us in our Discord. Uh, tell us about what you like to do, what your skills are, or just ask um, ask uh, what we need to help on currently and uh, maybe join the onboarding call every Wednesday at um, 11 a.m. UTC. Yeah, we're always we're very welcoming and we're always in need for, for more hands. Uh, and... And yeah, we're super excited to to onboard new people. And thank you, Lawrence, for for uh, for the call out and and yeah, for the call to action. And I think it's a, an excellent way to to wrap it up. So thank you, thank you, everybody. And again, uh, see you uh, in in two weeks. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs>